Welcome to Past Prime, where middle-aged men assess the music of middle-aged men. I'm Maddie Wishnow, and I'm joined today by my equally middle-aged friend, Steve Collins. And as we say here on Past Prime, getting here is half the battle. So congratulations to you, Steve, and to our listeners for making it to halftime. Uh, you ready? You ready to do this thing, Steve? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Okay. Episode one, season one, and the album we're talking about today is A Man Called Destruction, which was the 1995 solo record by Alex Chilton, who was the former frontman of Big Star, who were like 70s psychedelic power pop cult heroes. But this record, Steve, is kind of like a like a sad fart of a record. <laughs> you write and make movies, so as a as a director, should we have started this podcast uh, series with something more exciting, or is it appropriately sad and fartish? I think it's okay to start uh, start this way. I think it's okay to go with a deep cut like this, kind of like a real stinky uh, kind of cheese that'll attract a very. Uh, uh, erudite audience. I think it's okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're starting we're, as if it weren't niche enough. We're, we're, yes, we're starting yeah. narrower. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Keep it narrow. Yeah. <laughs> That's our motto. Let's uh, let's introduce kind of the basic rules of the podcast and, and then our perhaps more scant qual- qualifications. Mm-hmm. So this is a podcast about albums and that musicians make long after their peak. And as we well know, oftentimes those albums are kind of bloated and, and desperate. Sometimes they're just like flaccid and bland because the artist like just doesn't have it anymore. And very occasionally they can be amazing, maybe because the band or the artist has found some new gear or greater wisdom over time. And our our rules are, are pretty basic. They're sexist and they're ageist. All the bands <laughs> we cover are predominantly male and all of the primary contributors have to be at least 40 years old. Those are really our only two rules. We might have actually less than two qualifications between us other than being middle-aged. So, Steve, we're not journalists. We're not broadcasters. Why don't, why don't I start with you? What, are, what do you think your qualifications are for, for being a co-host? Yeah, I am 46 yeah, and sure. I am a dad of two teenagers so that's pretty middle-aged mm-hmm. i do not have any musical training don't play any instruments i do like music a lot and i really wish i think if there was one thing i wish i could be it would be you know something in the music i wish i had talent yeah <laughs> so that counts for something that's <laughs> that kind of yearning i think is something uh, very sad middle-aged yeah and uh, but normally I'm a filmmaker and a film teacher which I think is relevant and just yeah. just to give you a pat on the back you do have talent Steve we just it just might not be germane to this right yes 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 <laughs> yeah. yes but also as a teacher you professionally have to criticize you have to like yes. you ha- you have to support dreams and you have to kill dreams I, I think that qualifies you right yeah, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> sure, you have to have a critical eye. Yeah, yeah. Steve, I, we're the same age. I'm uh, I'm 46. Uh, I'm a dad, too. Similarly, don't play a single instrument. I did, for a long time, own an online record store, so I listened to a lot of music and got a lot of free music to listen to, and I've read a lot of music journalism. That is the extent of my qualifications. And if we were casting ourselves, I would say that I'm the more progressive and kind of annoying, have you heard this new thing guy. 
And you're the more maybe regressive. Have you heard how great the seventh song on Bruce's 32nd album is, guy? Is that is that fair? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm loyal to a, a small a small <laughs> group of uh, auteurs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so before we get into Alex Chilton, maybe we should sort of shake off the middle age uh, aches and pains. Is there uh, any middle age news or drama in your life before we get into this episode you want to share? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm <laughs> I'm working on a karaoke room uh, in my basement, carpeting a room in the basement, uh, setting up some karaoke. I think that is uh, that qualifies. Yeah. And I'm also, I've been re- researching uh, tube amps for my record player, uh, which I'm a little bit ashamed of that I'm dipping into that world. And I'm, I'm really getting beaten up by those audiophiles on the uh, on the forums. Are these unrelated interests or are they re- related? Well, they, those are those are two separate things. I won't be too. Well, I could tube amp my uh, velvety vocals or make my vocals more velvety. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, those are two separate kind of uh, pastimes of mine, mm-hmm. listening to uh, records. I discovered something called, uh, what really got me, <laughs> there's something called tube rolling, <laughs> where when I heard about this, I was like, oh boy, I got to get into this, I think, uh, where you uh, you adjust the tube amp, like you put in different tubes mm-hmm. to to kind of try to match the record to the tube. So you got this Sinatra record, you have to find the right size tube that will make it sound velvety and lovely enough. And when I heard about tube rolling, I really sort of jumped in there. So that's uh, that's pretty middle aged. So let me just to clarify. So every record you put on, theoretically, you would change tubes to get the like the warmer or bassier or treblier. That's right. Wow. That's right. Wow. So imagine the kind of organization you have to do with your record system and the amount of tubes you would have to have and the notation and the, or, you know. No, no. Imagine. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, this is like yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. Well, you're, you're officially coronated as Mr. Middle Age of this episode then, because I, I think I think you've I think you've checked like every major cliche. Like so you have you have the basement man cave check. Right, you got the audiophilia yeah. check, mm-hmm. right? And then you have the other thing where I presumably you can make the claim that you're doing the karaoke for your kids, but it's really for you. So that's like another check, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would definitely hold true in my case. <laughs> check, check, check. Okay. Yeah, check, check. All right, so now that we've done the middle age stretch out, why don't we lean into the facts of the album? As I mentioned, the record's called A Man Called Destruction. I think it was only the fifth solo album by Alex Chilton, who started his solo career in the 70s after Big Star kind of imploded. So it wasn't super prolific. And it was his second to last solo record. He, he put out one more before he passed away. This one this one was not notable for any, uh, any chart numbers. Didn't hit the charts. No, no singles. He produced it himself. But I think that in the 90s, as alternative rock was beginning to to germinate and then kind of take over the airwaves, and Alex Chilton was increasingly like a cult hero to some of those uh, influential alternative rock stars, this was like a like a reclaiming or validation record for for those people um, who loved Alex Chilton so much. So obviously, the first question for those who don't know Big Star about Alex Chilton is who was Alex Chilton? So 
I have the facts, Steve. Why don't you maybe share a little bit about maybe like the like the feelings? Like, who was Alex Chilton to you? Oh, he's uh, very uh, big to me, and you know, most of the people our age heard of Alex Chilton through the Replacements, through uh, the Replacements mm-hmm. song Alex Chilton. Uh, Paul Westberg was a big uh, trumpeter of uh, uh, his songwriting. For me, though, when I heard that first Big Star record, this was like very, very beautiful, touching, kind of personal, melodic uh, pop songwriting. And it was also like a band that felt like a little secret uh, and there's nothing a teenager likes more than a, <laughs> a secret that only you know about and uh, uh, nobody else knows and only you appreciate nobody else does. Yeah, I think you described him as like that kind of like that secret that your big brother or like the big brother or a friend of yours knows about, which gives him like gave him like extra cachet to people like us in the in the 80s and early 90s. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So. So Big Star was was a band formed in Memphis around Alex Chilton, Chris Bell, Jody Stevens. Um, the first two records, uh, Al- Alex Chilton and Chris Bell were the primary singer-songwriters. Uh, Chris Bell left before the third record, which is a famously sad and kind of tragic debacle called Third or sometimes called Sister Lovers. But before Big Star, Alex Chilton was a teenage singer for a band called The Box Stops, which had a hit record called The Letter, which later Joe Cocker also turned into a huge hit. And after Big Star, which was sort of like the Memphis band that could have been or should have been floundered, it just got sadder. Chris Bell died tragically in a car accident. Alex Chilton's solo career just was like, you know, a bunch of fits and starts that never went anywhere. Um, You know, in the canon of, of, of music, he's like a famous you know, what if story, I would describe his music as like psychedelic power pop. I mean, I, I know that they were broad. They did. How would you describe their their music? Is that psychedelic power pop? Yeah. 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 Some of it less psychedelic, but mm-hmm. I mean, power pop is usually how it's described. <laughs> yeah. And and you and you had met you had talked about the famous replacement song. The replacements mm-hmm. adored him. R.E.M. I think the the bangles did a cover of September Girls. He was like name dropped. Like all, I think when when we were coming of age in the '80s and uh, beginning to become aware that there was music that was not like that was sub popular music, I think Alex Chilton was probably amongst the most name dropped like cult artists of the previous decades. Like, what other company would you put him in? A- absolutely, uh, and I also think uh, I mean the, the Brian Wilson is a, a yeah. similar situation where. You know, of course, the Beach Boys were much bigger than Big Star ever were, but Brian Wilson then regressing, you know, little fits and starts in 70s uh, Beach Boys uh, in the solo career, lots of mental illness, that kind of thing. And a rabid, uh, rabid cult following also. (laughs) The artist that comes to mind for me is Jonathan Richman, not because they sound very similar, but because Jonathan Richman's band, The Modern Lovers, had this had this one record that people were excited about, I guess, in small circles, and that became a cult favorite. And then there was this sense that Jonathan Richman regressed. I mean, he developed a significant cult following, and I think that he progressed in his in a way that Alex Chilton didn't. But yes. he just there was this notion that he kind of like hid and and went with went in went inside to this more childlike uh, version of himself. I think. I don't think Alex Chilton exactly. I feel like Alex Chilton maybe went into like a bottle, right, or or some went in somewhere else, right. 
So, you know, I, I remember, Steve, obviously, because you and I fell in love with Big Star around the same time. It was in our late teens, uh, right before, and then in the early years of college, we would, you mm -hmm. know, one record at a time, one song at a time, we would talk about them, and we were kind of breathless by the time we finished the third record, which was, mm -hmm. like, deep and weird in a way that maybe we hadn't heard in other albums. And then... I don't know. I don't know about you, but I immediately started looking for his solo records, which were hard to find. Um, were you? Did you? Did you do the same? Were you also looking for more Alex Chilton? Uh, I did dip into it. You know, back then we didn't have uh, Spotify, but I did find a record, "The uh, Flies on uh, Sherbert," mm -hmm. and uh, I did not listen to it much. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's talk about that. So, what yeah. were your what were your impressions after being? you know, probably convinced that this Alice Chilton guy was genius. And then you get like flies on Sherbert. Um, yeah. Yeah. What were your impressions? Well, the, I mean, one of the great things about the last big star album is the, uh, it had, you know, they have those perfect pop instincts and some of big star third feels like, you know, I don't know, like, like pop music sort of falling apart. Mm -hmm. It's like as it's as it's happening, songs like Kangaroo and Holocaust, it feels like it's sort of, you know, rattling <laughs> and yeah. sort of falling apart. And this solo stuff, when you hear it, just feels like no, no beauty, just <laughs> falling apart. Yeah. It's just, it's just yeah. the rattle. It's just the it's like one sort of, you know, you might get one off note at the end of something like kangaroo or something and that's where the solo work starts right off note <laughs> right <laughs> you know right i you know it's like when i look at picasso part of Pica yes. like when i look at picasso's paintings part of um what i can appreciate is i know that he could could probably paint figurative realistic yeah. painting perfectly mm-hmm that was sort of the thing with Big Star. It was like, oh, I know that he can make a perfect pop rock song. He's yeah. choosing to break it down. By the mm -hmm. time you get to the solo stuff, you're like, well, maybe I was wrong. Like maybe, maybe, yeah. like maybe he doesn't. Maybe he yeah. couldn't or, or no longer can make good songs. Maybe it's like every because everything on the solo, most everything on the solo record sounds like half baked. And and this is kind of this kind of gets into the bias that I think a lot of people have, I, I, I will just mm -hmm. speak for myself around Alex Chilton is you, you listen to these solo records desperately looking for pearls of, of greatness. You even when the songs are, you know, not like, they're just like not developed ideas or they're like, they, they sound half assed or they, or they sound just like really lazy and kind of mediocre, but like you sort of grade them on the big star curve, you know, mm -hmm. they're, you know, you, you kind of, there's like a there's like a scent of Big Star that that followed him to a certain point in the 70s and 80s, you know, through the replacements, through REM. But at a certain point, you're like, well, how, like how much goodwill should we extend to this guy, right? No, I absolutely. I mean, the uh, I mean, I thought while I was listening to this, I did think about like, well, what if you recorded some of my like favorite like karaoke numbers? And mm -hmm. just like hastily recorded them and then just like released them. Like mm -hmm. you could make an argument that I'm like deconstructing these great sort of American classics. <laughs> but yeah. like you could also make an argument that like I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you <Right. know? laughs> and that's sort of the line this album sort of sits on. Like, I mean, and I think the Picasso 
thing is also something I, you know, you think about because, you know, he was famous for saying, you know, it took me my whole life to learn how to paint like a child. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is that same issue where it really does, there is a kind of regression Mm -hmm. and a kind of childlike quality that he's gone into. And uh, you're trying to kind of figure out, well, he's Picasso, so I, I guess this is intentional. <laughs> right. But I think in the Jonathan Richmond comparison, I think is uh, very apt because I actually think the Jonathan Richmond solo stuff, like there is something there, you know, mm-hmm. in the purity and the, the innocence. But uh, uh, this guy, uh, I'm not sure. There's, it feels much lazier and phoned in. <laughs> and and sadder and you know, sadder sad. much sadder you yeah. don't feel the in it you don't feel the joy that you get out of a jonathan richmond or a brian wilson who's in this sort of original innocent state it's no. mostly a, a kind of i mean i sort of thought of it as this is his uh comfort music and he's basically just kind of hiding under a warm blanket of you know early rock and you know some uh a little rockabilly and blues uh, and he's just kind of like pulling it over <laughs> yeah. a, a warm depression blanket. I mean, yeah, yeah, that really was his post big star mo. It was like jazzy R and B and rockabilly, a little surf. You got the sense that, and, and by the way, increasingly on those albums, songs that he did not write to your, to yeah, your karaoke covers. example. Yeah, a lot of covers. Definitely like a, a Benjamin Buttons type regression where he's <laughs> he's, he's going back to his you know to his roots but also a lot of the stuff that came out there were like alternate takes because the song was never finished so you you really and there and there were a couple you know famous bootlegged and then officially released live albums which people hail as like these you know transcendent moments but listening to them on the surface it's sort of you wonder if you're just listening to a guy in the middle of of a breakdown yeah and there's also something that we probably should mention which is just the tone of his voice he has a bit of like a war, like a sad warble on his voice, um, which allows him to kind of hit high and low notes, but also constantly sounds like it's going to crack and break, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, you know, in the big star stuff, you know, I thought about his voice on this because um, the the impression you get listening to this record is he's just <laughs> he sounds so tired, and yeah. Uh, yeah. you know. And I did think about that. And I was like, well, I mean, he he has that drawl to his voice. He has that Memphis uh, drawl to his voice. And that actually was always there, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and it is kind of there is a kind of chemistry that happens with the uh, the pop music of Big Star in that drawl sitting in the back of the car, you know, music so loud, I can't tell a thing there. There's. You know, something like that, which is about sort of speed and, uh, you know, kind of drifting in a car, you know, mm-hmm. having that kind of drawl to it. It's a mm-hmm. it's a sort of interesting alchemy, you know, uh, rather than having a, a, a kind of, uh, a, you know, rapid fire delivery to it. Uh, but in this album, the music, the combination of that tired drawl and this sort of falling apart kind of sketch of you know early rock and roll is uh there's no alchemy there it's just <laughs> yeah. kind of turgid and uh sad he but um <laughs> that voice is uh it's interesting to think about like did did the actual tempo of his phrasing change 
or did he just lose the ability to sort of combine it with uh, music that would uh, make something happen yeah. with that combination, you know? Well, I think that's that's the question that I think all, all, all of us and then even a generation older than us were probably wondering about between like the late 70s and then the, the early 90s. So Chilton only, he releases basically four solo albums before A Man Called Destruction. By my count, there's like three great songs across four albums. I, I like Bangkok, Take Me Home and Make Me Like It, and Free At Last. And then there's a lot of songs that if I feel like if you walked into like a really good oldies night in Memphis or New Orleans, you would hear probably you know equivalent level or quality of music if you just found like a band with horns in New Orleans playing R&B covers from the 50s and 60s, I feel like you'd get equal, if not better quality. And I know that sounds ungenerous, but like... No, but that's, that's yeah, it. that's that's about 90% of this record. Yeah. So as we get through the 70s and 80s, Alex Chilton's life is like devolving. You know, he's he puts out a few solo records. I think people are fairly generous in their assessment of it. They're looking at him as like a increasingly as like a post-punk cult hero. You know, he went from these sort of Beatles-esque Beach Boys harmonies to, you know, being connected more to rockabilly. And then by the time the 90s come, you know, Alex Chilton's like living on like land in Tennessee in like an unfinished house. And then, you know, fortuitously is able to restart, you know, the box tops and Big Star and get some paid gigs enough that he can live and move to New Orleans. So, by the time we get to 1995, you know, alternative rock is huge. We have, you know, the history of the replacements in R.E.M. And, and Alex Chilton is like this elevated cult figure. You know, at this point, you and I are in college. We have exhausted the big star discography. Do you remember when the album A Man Called Destruction came out? Do you remember that? No, no, I, I don't. I don't. I I. I really, uh, it was really, uh, Ryko re-released the Big Star albums in the, in the 90s. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was, I think, huge for uh, spreading uh, Big Star to people like me uh, and your recommendation, I think. But no, I wasn't aware of the solo album. Were you a Man Called Destruction? I, you know, I was nominally. I was, I was buying a lot of records and listening to college radio. And this was like the pre-internet heyday of college radio. So I think that, you know, Ardent Records, which was the label that put out the Big Star Records and amazingly reformed kind of as like a Christian, alternative Christian rock label. But then also there was a homecoming for Alex Chilton put this record out. So I heard the song Lies on WBRU in college a couple times and was like, well, that's shitty <laughs> or that might be shitty, but it's Alex Chilton. So mm-hmm. I went I ran over to In Your Ear and and bought the record. Mm-hmm. Brave. Yeah, yeah. So I heard it in the 90s a few times. You're saying the first time you heard it is fairly recently, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, in the Spotify uh, era, I've dipped in a little into the Chilton solo, but I have never sat down and listened to a whole record until last week. And were you so then were you already prepared to be disappointed or did you still find yourself being hopeful on like the big star curve? I mean, I knew that it might be uh, dim, <laughs> but uh, no, I was still hopeful. I was definitely looking. You're looking for that thing that you connected to uh, originally, and it's hard not to look for that thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Okay. So I I remember buying the album. I'm going to try to describe the album cover and you help me fill in the yeah. blanks. It's like a, it's basically like two tones. It he, Alex, uh, so it looks a little bit like a vintage jazz record, very simple. And Alex is sitting in a black turtleneck looking kind of like a sad beatnik smoking a cigarette with a with like a, a bowl to ash out in. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, he looks extremely, extremely tired uh, and kind of numb. And yeah, he's sitting there smoking. He doesn't look particularly fashionable or cool. Mm -hmm. He's got a pair of jeans on that I when I saw them, I thought, oh, those look like the kind of jeans you have that, you know, that kind of rainbow woven sort of cloth belt. Uh, mm-hmm. popular in the yeah. 90s. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, does he have one of those on under this? It, it it doesn't look cool, but yeah, there is a kind of uh I, I hadn't thought about that. There is a kind of like uh jazz <laughs> quality mm-hmm. to uh the pose and the cigarette. Well, yeah. Now hearing you describe it, maybe it's more like uh what someone who bought clothes at urban outfitters thought what a beatnik looked like yeah maybe something like that i mean it doesn't look like there was a tremendous amount of effort in the photo shoot i mean it's most like i was very surprised to hear that he i didn't realize he produced the record and but it sort of makes sense because i think producing the record is uh basically pressing record uh you know pressing record (laughs) you know i mean that's kind of the thing and I think producing yeah. that photo shoot was probably, I wouldn't be surprised if he produced that photo shoot. Right, uh, right. Like, you know, pressing the uh, self-timer button or whatever. Right, right. Like maybe the label had like a thousand dollar budget and Alex like pocketed 980 of it. Yes, yes, right. exactly. Right. Yeah, if if you told me that behind like the the unlit part of that shot was just like, like, a, like a crock pot of ramen and like a fridge <laughs> with Miller Lite. I I would believe that, right? Yeah, right. yeah. It's very ramen. Yeah, it's a very, <laughs> very ramen. <laughs> very ramen and Miller Lite. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay, let's get into the the sound. How would you describe the sound of this record? You know, it's early rock. I mean, I'm not a musicologist, but it's a uh, it, it's early rock. There's some blues in it. There there is that. I mean, his guitar playing is kind of interesting. It's it's like, you know, it, it's a little messy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a kind of Italian, uh, what do you call that? An Italian rockabilly number. Yep. Yep. There's a, a Jan and Dean cover uh, mm-hmm. that was written by Brian Wilson. So there's mm-hmm. some harmony. There's And then there's kind of one song that, don't stop that's it's kind of in the wheelhouse of a, a kind of a power pop something uh, closer to big star mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it's ba- it's kind of like a jazzy r&b ro- you know rockabilly retro rock record mm-hmm. yes yeah, um, retro yeah the song you know the songs sound a little drunk i think his guitar playing yeah. sounds a little drunk um how, how did you find his voice on this record well i actually thought his voice sounded fine it doesn't seem like he's lost his voice like it's more that he lost something inside, <laughs> you know, there's, it's, you know, I mean, cause sometimes it's like, you know, you listen to, uh, you know, Marianne faithful or something. Uh, and it's like, Jesus, what happened? <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. like physical changes happened. I don't like, there's nothing, uh, for my ear, there's nothing really wrong with his, he didn't like break his hand. 
and he didn't <laughs> he didn't lose his voice. He seems to have uh, equal range, and uh, uh, the guitar playing, I think, is to my ear uh, adequate. <laughs> right. Well, and and adequate and maybe interesting in that way that he seems to like, and we can't tell whether it's competence, incompetence, or laziness, where he likes to kind of play things straight and then let them fall apart. Like that's yeah. kind of a, a shtick that he has. Um, so I wrote an essay about this album. My core critical thesis was that we were just wrong about Alex Chilton. That, yeah. you know, he, not that he was untalented, but that the real creative well of Big Star was Chris Bell. And that even on the third record, we're just getting like vestigial, you know, influence of Chris Bell um, and that Alex Chilton was talented, but he, you know, I, there's really not a lot of evidence that on his own he was extraordinary. Um, and that for me, this album, where everybody wanted it to succeed, you know, Alex Chilton tried his best to write six songs, although I should, we should note that two of them are instrumentals. <laughs> yeah. um, he had so little material that like one of the songs is just like a fairly average song that the guy who owned the studio he was recording in wrote like not like a completely not famous <laughs> guy uh, so there's a real like dearth of good material of av seemingly available so for me this was like this was com final confirmation it's like stop stop grading him on a curve stop looking for greatness if it was ever there it's long gone you know yeah when you when you read those words or a pro some version of those words for me how did you feel? Did you agree? How did you feel? I, well, I actually, because I hadn't heard the album, I was actually a little irritated with you. I thought you were being <laughs> a little snarky. Even though I had dipped into the uh, solo work, I think I still had a lot of reverence for him. And I'm, you know, I'm probably even a bigger uh, Paul Westerberg and Replacements fan. And mm -hmm. so I, I sort of like whatever they say, you know, I'm, I'm a little brainwashed by that as well. And uh, but then I, you know, I dipped in and I, I did find it, you know, crushingly sad, this album, the fall uh, mm -hmm. of quality uh, from his uh, big star work. And uh, I mean, I, for me, the, the biggest uh, impression I get from listening to it is it's it's not just the plane and the, you know, the the, you know, is it simple like a child or, you know, and it, and is that stupid or 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 brilliant? <laughs> but it, it's the it is not personal. It's the, I mean, though he may have a personal connection to this kind of music, the he does not open up at all as an artist here. Yeah. Uh, you know what hooked me with Big Star was uh, I mean these are like heartbreaking and heart revealing uh, songs that he's writing in Big Star. Uh, things like 13 and September Girls. And, you know, I mean, these are really, they connect with you emotionally. And he seems very guarded to me in this album. Like, I never see, you know, he writes blues songs. They're two, or they're covers. Uh, he does two blues songs, but, and he clearly has the blues. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I don't feel the blues at all. Like, they're very, they feel like um, uh, very perfunctory to me. I, I don't, I never connect at all emotionally to this album. Well, I think that to, to be maybe less, even less generous, it's, yeah. it's, I think the, the worst part is that it can feel as a fan, like sadistic, like, like not only is it perfunctory, 
like, hey, listen, I'm, 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 I'm basically, I'm only doing this because I need to make money. But there's also, at times, you can feel a little bit like, I know you want more from me. I don't care what you want from me, right? Like, which, mm-hmm. which is, by the way, yeah. totally our problem as fans and not his problem as a man. Sure. But you do experience it that way a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is. Yeah, certainly, because you're, you're, you're sort of warring with your relationship with him <laughs> yeah. and his past. And there's a real disconnect between what he's giving and what you're, uh, what you came for. Yeah. So lest we imply that there's literally nothing redeemable on this record, I, I, by my count, there's like four songs that I think I enjoy. Like I, when they come on, I'm not unhappy and that's Mm -hmm. sick and tired, which is a cover, but it's a, it's a good, good jazzy R and B cover. There's ill rebel, which I'm probably mispronouncing, which is the Italian rockabilly cover, which is short and fun. There's the last song, Don't Stop, which is a straight power pop song. And it's a pretty good riff. And it's like one of those songs that for a moment you're like, yeah, he's still got it. But it's also like kind of an unfinished idea. And then there's the Brian Wilson, Jan and Dean cover, New Girl in School, which I like mostly for the harmonies. Like the song is fine, but I, I like it vocally. Those yeah. were my favorites. Any any. Agree, disagree? Yeah, I mean, the I think the Jan and Dean song, you get the smallest little kernel of real pop song, you know, pop harmonies and a very sad voice. Yeah. And you get just, the, there's a little chemistry and a little something happening there. And it's not quite as, you know, the balance there between his tiredness and the music is, uh, is a little uh, better tuned. Uh, and I would agree with Don't Stop in that that you get you're kind of almost there. It's sort of an unfinished, underbaked song, but there yeah. it has a lot more of what I think you came for. Um, and I think the other two songs are fine. I mean, it, my I think uh, you put on your worst list, but I, I mean, it's your funeral to me. I understand why you would say it's <laughs> the worst. Um, it's not really the song, but it seemed the most. Just kind of um, honest. Uh, the what? A most honest. Yeah, the most honest number. Yeah. Uh, it's basically. I mean, I can sing it right now. It's that song that goes da 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 da, da, da. Yeah. and it's done in a kind of. It sounds kind of in like a New Orleans kind of brass uh, arrangement of it, and it's sort of the. It's sort of falling apart as it's happening, and mm-hmm. to me, it actually reminded me of. Uh, of Big Star Third uh, and some of the kind of way the the songs kind of start to fall apart. Uh, mm-hmm. And it did have that uh, hook of a melody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I found it was very uh, true. It felt the most personal <laughs> yeah. uh, of the uh, of the work. Yeah, maybe the most revealing, like accidentally, re- maybe intentionally, yes. maybe yeah. accidentally revealing. So there's there's a lot of shit on on this album. So I don't think we need to uh, r- rub salt in the wound of uh, the singer or the songs. The, for me, the most past prime moment of the album, the most um, is what's your sign, girl? So mm-hmm. Alex Alex Chilton oddly was obsessed with um, with astrology, and the the I, I, it's. So there's there's a song called What's Your Sign Girl. It's a it's an old um you know, it's a it's a sixties song. And the lyrics are almost like talk about written by the phone book. This is these are the first eight lines of the song. 
Capricorn, Sagittarius, Aquarius, Pisces, Gemini, Aries. I won't go. He lists all of the signs. And then the next quartet is, what's your sign, girl? Is it compatible to mine? What's your sign, girl? Is it compatible to mine? Yeah. <laughs> that The idea of a 45-year-old man still um, think, still kind of living in that world um, and is is deeply sad to me. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I would say about in defense of that song is uh, it does stand out as odd <laughs> and right. sort of eccentric. Mm-hmm. And there was something a little more interesting to me about that than some of the blues numbers, which right. I, I found very, very dull and lacking blues <laughs> right right Do, right are are you also implying that there might be something winking or knowing about it that there's something there's some sign of a kind of uh, independent voice or something you know a kind of eccentric pop songwriter <laughs> right you know uh, i realize it's a cover although i didn't realize that before but uh there is some sensibility you know there where i think with some of the blues numbers i'm just like what who yeah. who is you know anyone could do this like yeah i maybe i could do it <laughs> yeah yeah uh, well you're more romantic about you're still more romantic perhaps a, a yes. tick more romantic than i am yes, uh, yes. well I'll, i'm gonna hold you i don't I'm, ever want to listen to that song again i don't want to confuse you <laughs> to, to be clear yeah or i will never listen to the album again this is it <laughs> let, let me hold you to a verdict um is this more like REM around the sun, which I think is like one of like the saddest, most pathetic albums by a great band. Or is this more like Tom Waits, bone machine, middle-aged second gear? Obviously um, you know where I stand. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I would put this firmly around, uh, around the sun mm-hmm. uh, that uh, this is, I, to me, this is, I mean, cause you know, I've, we've been doing this for a while and looking at, I found this one of the saddest, the saddest past prime uh, album experiences, <laughs> yeah, uh, which is maybe a little rough to start uh, the show off with, but um, uh, it gets to the heart of uh, what we're doing. I mean, this, I, I don't know his personal background uh, and what, uh, I mean, you've said a little bit about it, but this just seems just a kind of an artist who's fallen apart, doesn't either doesn't care or really has lost whatever his original muse was. Uh, and is absolutely stunted in a state of arrested development. You know, yeah. I mean, he makes Brian Wilson's output look like, you know, this is really stunted and lazy work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hate saying bad things about great artists, or yeah. and I hate, I hate projecting onto things I don't know about. So I listened to this album a handful of times for the original essay and since, and I could say that I feel comfortable in the original assessment. I was not overly unfair or, or, or generous. I did, as a postscript, I did, um, I don't do this very often at all, but I posted on Reddit and I just sort of asked if Big Star fans think that maybe we were wrong about Chilton and maybe Chris Bell was the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, was the star. And people were pretty angry. <laughs> were pretty angry oh, they were, about yeah. me. Yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, you don't understand Alex Chilton and it's easy to say that because Chris Bell died and we don't have a body of evidence and uh you know to which that that's a fair well 
But his one know, solo album sounds like Big Star. It does. It does. It does. But he but he did not make music into his 30s and 40s. Yes. Um, and, you know, one one part of me wanted to sort of say to the Reddit crowd, you know, I, I, I you know, I was you like I, I had the mm-hmm. Stockholm syndrome, too, yeah. you know. And then the other part of me was like, I should just get off Reddit. That's probably, <laughs> you yeah. know, like it's probably not a good place to have this conversation. Will you ever listen to this music again? Uh, I'm I'm done with this. I, I think I'm done with this. I, I've listened to this now about five or six times straight through, and yep. uh, we're done. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, so we should probably you know sort of let our audience know what happened after after this to Alex Chilton. He he made one actually interesting album with Alan Vega from Suicide and Ben Vaughn called Cubist Blues, which I would actually recommend. It's not in almost any way an Alex Chilton album. He does provide vocals and guitar, but um, it's much more experimental. And then in 1999, he made his last solo album. It was all covers. Uh, You can't find it anymore because the original title was Loose Shoes and Tight Pussy. So not not on the shelves. Uh, (laughs) It was repackaged with another album. And then, you know, after that, he basically did some victory laps in Big Star and then sadly died uh, in 2010. So, you know, not a lot of ha- not, not a happy ending. Um, what were your takeaways from from the story of Alex Chilton for your own middle age, Steve? I mean, I, I, I mean, sincerely, I think probably, you know, if you've lost the feeling for the medium you're working in, like try to find another one. And maybe he did. Maybe. Maybe there was like a woodworking sort of yeah. collection of you know doorstops and uh, you know yeah. I don't I don't know like or chainsaw uh, carving or so. maybe he did find another medium and and this was just he knew he could make money this way maybe he had an active career doing watercolor landscapes but that would be my takeaway is is if I ever lose my muse this uh deeply try to find some other uh medium yeah <laughs> to express myself in yeah i second all of that i hope i hope to maybe one day on ebay find out that there's like a gorgeous um you know like new orleans inspired uh four post bed designed by alex chilton in the 90s <laughs> yeah, or something yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah well um f- farewell to a man called destruction the uh, episode two we're going to take on lou reed's the blue mask um, which is, I think, like his very domestic, heterosexual, um, average guy, but also poet album from 1982. Um, any any first blush feelings before we before we move on to that episode? I mean, I'm I'm just a little. I'm always a little frightened of Lou Reed, so yeah. I'm a little nervous of. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little yeah. nervous of this episode. Yeah, well, let us let us both brace ourselves. Uh, thank you, thank you, listeners. Thank you, Steve, for episode one. We we did it. And for those listening, please subscribe to Past Prime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast provider of your choice. Talk to you soon. <laughs>